0: L.T.A. Mumia Abu Jamal and Stanley Tooker Williams.
1: We'll
2: also take you on a tour of hip hop roots and current activism. Listen in with us on Full Circle this Friday at 7 p.m. <laughs> You're listening to 94.1 KPFA Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, or online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is cover-to-cover open book. Stay with us. Today's cover to cover open book we will hear the writings of Nobel nominee Stanley Tookie Williams, scheduled to be executed Tuesday morning at twelve oh one AM Stanley Tookie Williams. Sits on San Quentin's death row for killing four strangers and is scheduled to be executed on December 13th. He maintains his innocence and has petitioned for clemency based on his personal redemption. Williams has been nominated five times for the Nobel Peace Prize and four times for the Nobel Prize for Literature for a series of acclaimed children's books. His message is to stay away from gangs and crime. Williams grew up in South Central Los Angeles where he founded the Crips, a notorious street gang. California's governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has heard Williams' petition for clemency. Williams experienced a reawakening in 1993 and has since tried to whittle away at the burden of his violent legacy, one word at a time. He's written a series of nine readers aimed at urban youth titled... Cookie speaks out against gang violence, which were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, Life in Prison, a biography detailing the isolation and despair of death row, and his latest book, Blue Rage, Black Redemption, a memoir. In collaboration with his editor, Barbara Becknell, Williams has also started the Internet Project for Street Peace, which links teens from the industrial, largely black town of Richmond, California, with peers in Switzerland, teaching them computer literacy and encouraging them to share their experiences in avoiding street violence. The following is a collection of Stanley Tookie Williams' writings. You'll hear Ara and Rudy, two young children, who will be reading excerpts from his children's book series. You'll also hear journalist and radio producer Kilo Nyasha reading from William's book, Life in Prison, and from an article that she wrote for the Bayview newspaper that included excerpts of his most recent book, Blue Rage, Black Redemption. And we'll end with a commentary from Mumia Abu-Jamal, who has written Tookie from Chaos to Consciousness.
0: I'm eight years old, and I'm reading "Tookie Speaks Against Gang Violence, a real grown-up. As a kid, you're still growing up. You'll learn a lot of things as you become an adult. You'll learn how to be fair with others and how important it is to tell the truth. You'll learn how to make good choices that don't get you or other people into trouble. You'll also learn that carrying a gun won't make you a grown-up. Being violent won't make you a grown-up. The only thing violence does is get you shot. Kill or put in jail. You can learn how to make good
3: choices from adults who love you. My name is Aaron, I'm 10 years old, and I'm reading Tookie Speaks Out Against Gangs Violence. Be yourself, love yourself. It feels good to break free from gangs' life to know that you don't need to do bad things to prove to your homeboys and that you're cool. These days I am the only person I need to prove anything to. It's much easier just being myself. I even found out I have a hidden talent. I can draw Really well. You can do something and more, so be yourself and love yourself. No homeboy in a gang can do that for you. Gang and your friends. Little bullies,
0: big bullies. Monroe wanted me to be afraid of him. That's why he hit me. Bullies use violence to scare other kids into doing what they want them to do. I won the fight with Monroe that day, but I really lost because after the fight I decided that pushing other kids around was the best way to feel good about myself. I became a bully just like Monroe. Soon I found out there were many young bullies in my neighborhood. They grew up to be big bullies and gang members, so did I. Bullies use violence to try to feel good about themselves. My God, can you imagine living in a ghetto so hard? Oh for son, this is real Oh my God, can you imagine living in a city so fair? No police better hand than your own God. Can you imagine this is where the kids will dance? Growing up to be rough neck, my God. Can you imagine this is where we come from? Come from come from come
2: from In nineteen ninety-two Stanley Tookie Williams wrote an account of his life in San Quentin State Prison in California, where he had lived in a small cell on death row since nineteen eighty-one because of a murder conviction.
1: I first arrived at San Quentin State Prison during the spring of 1981. The place looked ancient and creepy. It reminded me of a huge shabby fortress. When I got off the bus, I was immediately marched with both wrists shackled to a chain wrapped around my waist to the prison hospital for a medical checkup. When my medical checkup was completed, I was taken to the row. I can still remember the first time I entered the death row cell I was told would be mine. I saw a tiny, dingy, white room, nine by four feet, with steel bars, a sink, a toilet, a bunk, and a concrete floor. I was surprised the cell was so small. To step through its barred door, I had to turn my bulky body sideways. In fact... I looked bigger than the entire cell. When I tried to do some push-ups on the floor, I couldn't do them. The gap between the wall and bunk is too narrow for my torso. So I have to do my exercises on top of the bunk, which is the widest space in the cell. There are no tables or chairs to sit on in the cell, so I have to invent what I need. I sleep on a mattress on the floor because the bunk... A flat rectangle of solid steel welded to four short metal legs, each bolted to the floor, is only six feet long, two and a half feet wide. That's too small for my body. So I sleep on the floor to keep from falling off the bunk at night and hurting myself. I use the top of the bunk as a table to study, write, draw, or exercise. When I need a chair, I roll up the mattress and use it for a seat. It's very uncomfortable at times, but it's this or nothing. When I was 15, I had a homeboy whose mother owned a dog kennel. I used to go there to help my friend feed the dogs in their cages. There was just enough room in each cage for a dog to chase its tail. The first time I saw the cages, I realized how happy I was that I didn't have to live in them. Now, I live in a cell not much bigger than those cages. Although some men here pace back and forth in their cramped areas, I refuse to do it. The pacing reminds me of the way those dogs walked around in their cages, tormented by the lack of space. To get a feel for what it's like to live in a prison cell, test yourself. Spend 10 hours, nonstop and alone, in your bathroom at home, which is probably about the size of a cell. Lock yourself inside with no more than a radio, a blanket a book or magazine, and a couple of sandwiches. To quench your thirst, drink tap water from the sink. You can talk to family members through the door, but don't open it. Even if you're hungry, thirsty, lonely, or tired, don't open the door. When your 10 hours are up, think about the fact that I have spent Approximately 150,000 hours in prison cells less clean and less comfortable than your bathroom. In addition to the cramped quarters, I also had to get used to the noise in San Quentin. There is a sound control rule here. All televisions and radios are required to have the volume switch disconnected as soon as they enter the prison. The only way an inmate can hear his television or radio is with a set of headphones. But the sound control rule doesn't keep it quiet during waking hours because there are too many inmates trying to talk to each other. The building where I currently live has a total of 250 cells. Picture about 200 men, one man to a cell, holding different conversations at the same time. In order to be heard... They have to talk louder and louder. Sometimes the roar is so great in here, it hurts your eardrums. In fact, the only time it's truly quiet is when everyone is asleep. That's why I wake up early around 4.30 a.m. to do as much serious studying as possible before the other inmates start their day. If the noise doesn't bother you in prison, then surely the funk or smell will. Some people here don't like water and will not shower. I know a guy on the row who says that he doesn't like to shower because there are no bathtubs here. He says that until San Quentin gets some bathtubs, he will only take bird baths now and then using the sink in his cell. Some people give up on their hygiene here in prison because they just don't care anymore. They say, hey, I'm on death row. Why should I take a shower? What difference does it make? While some inmates call the cell they live in a house, to me, it's nothing like a house. If I were living in my own house, I would have the liberty to come and go as I please. I could invite a friend over whenever I wanted to, and I wouldn't have to yell at my friend from behind bars in order to talk. I would have the choice every day to either shower or bathe in a bathtub. If it was cold in my house, I could turn the heater on to warm me up. Or when it became too hot, I could put the air conditioner on to cool the house. And I would have privacy. I could use the bathroom in solitude without having to worry about guards or inmates walking by the cell and looking through the bars while I'm on the toilet. I have never gotten used to that even though I've been locked up for nearly 20 years. Not much has changed since I first arrived at San Quentin. Space is still so tight that I often bump into the sharp edges of the bunk. I have many scars on both my knees and arms to remind me that my address is San Quentin's death row it's to the death they don't want me alive they put me in the box give me 40 to life it's to the death they want me to die on the real i'm better off dead than they eyes it's to the death they don't want me alive no matter what they try i'm gonna survive Who's next? We, we look at death in the eye. But Tookie Williams, we ride Mac on me and Tribe. Stanley Tookie Williams, one in a million. Started building for the children with visions of community villages and buildings. Stood up, stood proud. was a leader in the crowd? Watch him now. Keep it moving like water makes sense. That blue was his favorite color to represent. That blood of love that he had for the hood. Wanted to organize the ghetto all for the good. And where good comes back. Like those times when people drive by and let them bullets fly. So let this song cry for those moments in time where we do or die, Or we'll multiply and keep it live Tookie had a Thule and a whole gang And a knew we had a duty to bang that thing When it's time, we to a world of no peace He crawled and walked and rose to a noble peace Prize nominee it's to the death They don't want me alive They put me in a box, give me 40 to life sit to the death they want me to die on the real, I'm better off dead than they eyes. It's to the
2: death they' don't want me alive no matter what they try Kilu Niasha is a longtime activist, radio producer and journalist who just wrote an article about Stanley Tookie Williams that appeared in the Bayview newspaper this last week. The following is Kilu reading from her article "Blue Rage, Black Redemption, and the Death Penalty," that includes excerpts from Williams' book, published earlier this year.
1: To poor people, prisoners, slaves, and the disenfranchised everywhere, through faith and theories put into practice, you can bend the most oppressive circumstances to your will to make the impossible possible. Born in New Orleans in 1953 to a teenage mother under morbid conditions of poverty, Stanley Tookie Williams III entered the southern segregated world of racist deprivation. The story of Stanley Tookie Williams could be that of any number of young bloods growing up in hoods expressing their frustration with poverty, racism, police brutality, and other systematic injustices routinely visited upon residents of urban black colonies such as Central Los Angeles. In fact, Blue Rage is a must-read for everyone interested in understanding this social malaise and the rage it engenders. Considering the soaring homicides and burgeoning prison populations filled largely by blacks, it's imperative that real solutions to these urgent problems are found and implemented. By 1959, Tookie's mother decided to take her, quote, mischievous, hyperactive son to Los Angeles, where she hoped to achieve prosperity. Quote, we lived in a predominantly black area of private homes, apartments, and duplexes a deceptive look of prosperity, a West colony of poverty behind a facade of manicured lawns and clean streets. The neighborhood was a shiny red apple rotting away at the core. As the new six-year-old on the block, Tookie was presented with a fight-or-flight option in his words. He chose to fight and so began his initiation into South Central's urban ghetto. Quote, Each time I stepped out into this society, rife with poverty, crime, drugs, illiteracy, and daily brutal miscarriages of justice, I inhaled its moral pollutants and so absorbed a distorted sense of self-preservation. Lacking any real knowledge of African culture, there was a black hole in my existence. I had absorbed the common negative black stereotypes that eventually made me despise my blackness. Without the cultural knowledge I needed to shape my identity, I was unable to give my mother the respect she deserved. Since I respected neither my mother nor myself, it was inevitable I would grow up as I did, to disrespect other black people. Following years of diseducation, school fights and expulsions, trips to juvie and moving, Williams writes, I felt trapped. My mother's attempts... To rescue us from a disordered society caused us to jump out of one fire into a hotter one. An area alive with criminal potential. Society's underbelly was there to salute me the moment I set foot outside our home. Like some of the urban schools I had attended, Juvie was a warehouse for incorrigible youth where they would vegetate and sink into ignorance and confusion. Preparation for a youth's inevitable step toward prison. At the facility I learned absolutely zip, but it was very professional in teaching me to be more indifferent and embittered. Some of the dispassionate turnkeys were more diabolical than gang members. They appeared to suffer from mental disorders while taking their frustrations on out on us. Youth could be subjected to involuntary, psychotropic drugging and testing, prolonged isolation, bodily harm, degradation, sodomy, and even death at the hands of a turnkey or another youthful offender. Imagine me or any youth trying to explain to a parent about the facility's atrocities. We'd be seen as liars, plain and simple. It would have broken my mother's heart to know the depth of anxiety I felt over an unpromising future. But no matter how much I yearned for help or how intensely sentimental I felt toward her, my world was closed to my mother." By the time Williams returned to the streets, he was 17 years old and it was 1971. Black Panthers and the Black Liberation Movement were under siege... Quote, the older gangs, the notorious slousens, gladiators, and businessmen had become ethnicity conscious and were absorbed into the Black Panther Party or other active political groups. A few remaining older gangs were still hanging on. These gangs gave rise to newer, more predatory gangs. As I had moved from school to school, juvenile facility to another juvie, hood to hood... I had established ties in each area with other key youth who held influence over their circle of homeboys. Their homeboys became mine and mine became theirs, unquote. Thus, Tookie was in perfect position to network his homies into crips. Quote, though the black images we saw across the barricades were seen as enemies, We had no notion that our true adversaries were the squalid living conditions, the vortex of powers confining us to those conditions, and our own unwitting perpetuation of those conditions. Like countless other black gang members and criminals, we were unconscious accomplices in our own subjugation, our own worst foes. I bought into the rhetoric about survival being based on the principles of accumulated wealth, force, and violence. This was the American way. Neither the Crips nor our rivals invented greed or violence, the basic capitalistic theme for man-eat-man. Man. No surprise that my foremost concern was self. Although I would have defended any die-hard Crip to the death, my own survival was paramount. I bear witness to my own mindlessness, unquote. In a letter to me dated last August, Tokey wrote, Meanwhile, I'm working on another book titled Thoughts of Thunder, a Manifesto for the Mind. Primarily, it's a compilation of essays on the social prison conditions, violence, Racialism, spirituality, capital punishment, attorney-client relationship, redemption, etc. Regarding myself, well, I managed to maintain a sound mind, body, spirit, and an undying faith. Practical optimism, critical thinking, prayers, and intransigent faith allow me to experience calm in this chaotic setting.
0: I was by Satan on the day that I was born, I was promised love. but instead I was torn. La, 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 my heart bled dear. La La, 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 la,
2: la, my set Mumia Lumia is an award-winning journalist who chronicles the human condition. He has been a resident of Pennsylvania's death row for 23 years. Writing from his solitary confinement cell, his essays have reached a worldwide audience. The following is a commentary about Stanley Tookie Williams titled, From Chaos to Consciousness.
4: The name Stanley Tookie Williams is both famous and infamous. Infamous because of his multiple murder convictions in California, which led him to death row famous because of his works while there and the growing movement to spare his life and perhaps achieve his freedom from California's notorious San Quentin prison. Those works include the writing of several award-winning anti-gang and anti-violence books, many of them written especially for young folks, which have turned away many from the perils and pitfalls of gang life. They respond to Tookie because they know that he knows what he's talking about. Tookie was one of the founders of the Crips gang, which is spread all across the nation. As one of the founders of Cryptum, his words have a resonance that others, either in government or the church, simply can't match. Tookie's life example is also known to us through the acting of the Oscar-winning Jamie Foxx, who portrayed the muscular former gangbanger in a teledrama called Redemption. Fox, the man and celebrity, has joined the call to California's governor, fellow actor Arnold Schwarzenegger, to commute his death sentences to life. Just recently, Fox was joined by his fellow actor Will Smith and rapper Snoop Dogg, who have echoed Fox's call. Several months ago, the anti-death penalty publication The New Abolitionist published a brief letter from Tukey in which he addressed the issues of both his innocence and his sincerity. Tookie wrote, my detractors in the media and elsewhere have questioned my redemption. Their doubt is driven largely by my open apology at www.tookie.com to black folks and others who might have been offended by the fact that I helped create the Crips Youth Gang in Los Angeles 34 years ago. My detractors argue that I could not be redeemed because I have not apologized to the family members or the victims that I was convicted of killing. But please allow me to clarify. I will never apologize for capital crimes that I did not commit, not even to save my life. And I did not commit the crimes for which I was sentenced to be executed by the state of California. Being a condemned prisoner... I am viewed among the least able to qualify as a promoter of redemption and of peace. But the most wretched among society can be redeemed, find peace, and reach out to others to lift them up. Redemption cannot be faked or intellectualized. It must be subjective, experienced, and shared. In the past, redemption was an alien concept to me. But from 1988 to 1994, while I lived in solitary confinement, I embarked, On a transitional path towards redemption i underwent years of education soul searching edification spiritual cultivation and fighting to transcend my inner demons subsequently the redeeming process for me symbolized the end of a bad beginning and a new start the writing of stanley tookie williams Stanley Tookie Williams has been nominated several times for the prestigious Nobel Peace Prize for his work in support of street peace and in anti-gang efforts. He has written nine anti-gang and anti-violence books and created the Internet Project for Street Peace, which connects youth globally in support of that end. That said, Tookie has a date with death, December 13th, 2005. What makes Tookie's case doubly disturbing is that the state played fast and loose with jury selection by kicking off three potential black jurors, resulting in a virtually all-white jury to decide both his guilt and whether he should live or die. There were ten Caucasians, one Filipino and one Latino. Is racial jury rigging a minor thing? Well, just recently in Philadelphia, a man who had been on death row for over a decade for multiple murders had his retrial. His original conviction was tossed because of a violation of the Batson Rule, which forbids the removal of black jurors. A racially mixed jury acquitted him of all charges. It can be said that Tookie didn't receive a fair trial by any standard. How can he then face death? The death penalty has been losing steam for years, largely because of cases which were won by unfairness. With the support of the people, that may be ending as the fight for the life of of Tukey begins. From death row, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. number's 916-445-2841. Do me a favor call Governor Schwarzenegger and let him know this rose in the concrete deserves to grow.
1: not too many people in power positions living with hate in their minds. Some of them even think that they have the right to be taking the role of the most high. When it comes to taking a black man's life, I wonder if they think twice. Would they rather us die to leave us alive in a four by nine foot cell for life? How do they justify a homicide as a punishment for homicide? Retaliation's just an eye for an eye, right? So who are the thugs now that the powers change hands? And the official who doesn't stand against them killing of this man?
2: from you just heard a collection of readings from Jeff Rowe inmate Stanley Tookie-Williams, who is scheduled for execution on December 13th. If you'd like more information, Information, you can go to the website savetuki.org. Many thanks to Kilo Nyasha, Ara Soriano, Rudy Corpus III, Elijah Corpus, and Coco for reading from the children's series Gangs and Drugs, to Rudy Corpus Jr. for bringing the young readers to the KPFA studio, and to Prison Radio for providing.